Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Well, guys and gals, today is episode 73. For episode 73, I have a guest joining me all the way via Skype from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, we have the founder of Youth Rising, a nonprofit organization, Miss Tasha Locks. Tasha, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you, Jared? Thanks for having me. I am great. It is beautiful <laughs> down here in sunny St. George. And we were talking a little bit before this. You've never been to sunny St. George. No, just Salt Lake. <laughs> we got to change that. We got to get you down here. Have you check out Zion. So maybe soon. How's the weather in Nashville, Tennessee? Um, it is, uh, confused, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> different all day, every day it's raining today, but I think it'll be getting better tomorrow, but it's teasing us right now. So I guess that could be a good or bad thing, right? Because it's like, yeah. if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes and it's a <laughs> yeah. different, different kind of weather. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Hey, listen, Tasha's going to come on. She's going to talk to us about how alcoholism has affected her life. Um, she got, she has a really cool story behind that. She's also going to talk to us about youth rising, uh, the organization that she's the founder of and, and kind of what they're doing and, and some good stuff before all that though, episode 73 part one is brought to us by steps recovery centers where they are ready to help you or a loved one. Whenever you or your loved one is ready to reach out for help, reach out to them by calling them at 801-800-8142. Or you can go to the website. That's www.stepsrc.com. We love Steps. They are amazing. I've worked there for almost a year now. It's crazy, right? It was a year in January. And uh, yeah, I love those guys. Love those guys. They do awesome stuff. Um, well, let's, we always start off with... Good. New and goods, baby. Here we go. Okay, well, let's start off with Sean Denovan. I love that thing, dude. I that like that's one of my new and goods. I'm cutting in line here, but yeah, I wasn't expecting you to like to tease it to me. I was just gonna throw it in there. Now you're now you're expecting it. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a like a bratty kid on Christmas. Where's, where's my presents? Where are my presents? <laughs> so now I have to actually show up and then and, and play them there. So. So what's new and good in your world, Sean? What's uh, going on with you, man? Wife bought a motorcycle, or I bought oh, a motorcycle man. for the wife. So now you both are biked up. Yep. We're all ready to roll. Any fun plans in the near future? Uh, oh, yeah. We got a whole summer. So we're, I think we're going to go to Sturgis. <laughs> I think we're going to go to Texas. We got a few rides up uh, up and down the state to do. Tasha could probably hook you up with some some country music out there in Nashville, Tennessee, if you want to go out. And I'm good. No, thanks. No, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> You're not a fan of, of country music? No, no, no. I don't like straw in my mouth. What ca- <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe this guy, Tasha? Okay, what kind of bike is it? Uh, it's a it's a much nicer and newer bike than the one that I ride. So it's a uh, 2007 Honda Shadow. Nice. And it sounds ballsy. Yeah? So, yeah, compared to my little wimpy I mean, this well, it's half the power of my bike. But it sounds like three times the muscle. Wow. So she's going to look cool, and I'm going to be the pack horse carrying everything. <laughs> so that's cool. Well, listen, she's happy. All, all the money you're making off this podcast, we got to get you upgraded to a new bike. Uh, no, I, I'm just buying more gas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's that. Hey, there's that. So that, That's new and bad. We won't go there, right? <laughs> but it sounds cool, though. It does. <laughs> 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 all right. How about you? What's new and good? Oh, Let's let me think about it while we get Tasha's new and good. All right, Tasha, you're new and good. <laughs> um, my mine's kind of new. I mean, I did recently move to Nashville across the country, <laughs> um, bought a house, and we're getting a puppy Rottweiler. I think um, oh, in boy. two weeks, just because someone tried to break into my house. So we want a protective dog. Is so. is all the furniture <laughs> insured? Because those Rottweilers um, don't they chew on everything? <laughs> you're gonna have a half a couch I'm here pretty train soon. It. 
Hopefully. <laughs> I'm too nice. We'll see. <laughs> so listen, this sounds like new and bad, but I want to hear the story. You had kind of a rough move. Yeah. What happened? To, uh, well, I, I drove a 26 foot U-Haul with my car behind it, hauling it like 2,300 miles through like two flash floods with my daughter and my dog. And, um, then a week later, um, someone broke into my car, stole my purse. And then we, I bought a house and then, um, like a few months later, someone tried to break in. <laughs> so Holy it's just been cow. kind of like good and bad every but I mean, I'm on the upswing now. Everything's feeling positive. So the um, universe just wanted to test you. They just, that's just, what I felt like. Just I'm like, to what find is going out? on? I've never had any of this kind of stuff happen. And I just felt like it was trying to block me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I didn't let it. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. on the new house. That's amazing. Thank that you. is new and good. So talk to me about the house. What kind of house did you get? Uh, it's just like a rancher on about an acre and a half. And so my daughter's happy with it. So I'm happy with it. <laughs> Beautiful. So Beautiful. yeah, I'm like 19, 19, 20 minutes to downtown Nash. So I'm kind of on the outskirts, not in the craziness. So that's awesome. Good. That is amazing. Yeah. All right. So my new and good, let's see, man, <laughs> new and good. So I've been working on, I, I really want to come up with, I, I've been racking my brain on coming up with some formulas for some supplements. So I'm working on uh, doing a supplement that we'll sell on this podcast and, and we'll sell through Facebook and some social media stuff. Uh, rising nutrition is going to be the name of the supplement line. That's kind of new and good for me right now. I'm, I'm just figuring out cost and, you know, labels and all the, all the fun stuff that goes into a pre-launch. I'm looking over at my wife, Mandy, and she's smiling because we, that's literally what I've been doing, making phone calls and websites and all kinds of stuff, but I'm excited about it. So that's my cool. new and good. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's get into getting to know you, Tasha. You are the <laughs> name and the face of the organization pretty much, right? You're the founder of Youth right. Rising. So I feel like it's really important for our, our listeners, our audience to connect with Tasha. And this is a podcast about recovery from addiction. Part of addiction is alcohol. I understand you, you have a little bit of experience in that area. What does that look like for you? Yeah, so my um, my biological dad was an alcoholic, um, really nice guy, um, but um, didn't really come into my life until age seven of what I remember. That's when we um, were allowed to start having a relationship with him. Um, but he, you know, would just go through periods of time where he'd I'd develop a relationship, try to get really close, and then he'd kind of disappear on a whim and I wouldn't know when I was going to see him again. Um, so that was kind of how our relationship started off. Um, and at I age seven, did you really know what was going on or was it just like, Oh, he's here one day, gone the next I'm getting, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, well, it'd be like, you know, I think three years in a row, um, we were told we were going to go to Disneyland and he'd come show up and my mom would walk out. She'd say, you need to stay in. Cause she mm -hmm. could tell he had been drinking. So we'd just look through the window, kind of start crying. And so I understood what, um, it was at that age. Um, I don't know if it was explained to me, but I definitely knew it was, you know, if we didn't get to see him or I didn't see him, it was because he was drinking. Um, so I think the most like impressionable time of like, um, that I can remember of when I started to really understand what alcoholism was or addiction was I was, um, in fourth grade and, um, it was the first time, you know, in school where we were allowed to pick the topic of what we wanted to do a book report on. And then we had to like read it in front of class. And I chose alcoholism at age 10, um, because wow. I felt like, um, if I learned about what my dad had, then I could help him to, um, heal and recover. And then I could have a closer relationship with him. He'd be happier and, you know, things like that. Um, so I think that's when I first started to really at such a young age care about, um, addiction and recovery and understand it a little bit more. Um, so basically so like the, the awareness that you had at seven years old grew into curiosity and a desire to help your dad with his struggle by 10 years old. Yes. Wow. Which selfishly was also so I could have a, you know, be like, if I can heal him, then we can be around each other more often. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, um, 
I was like an athlete. I was a top athlete, top musician, um, dancer. And so he would, um, same things with that. Usually if there was anything really important, I don't know if he'd get anxiety or just feel pressure, but usually that's when he would binge a lot is like right before something important, um, before graduation or things like that. Um, so he'd show up to my basketball games, um, you know, pretty drunk and, and then drive me home. Um, so I just, I think at a young age, I learned to, um, dismiss or not have boundaries, um, and makes, you know, kind of not have a voice of when I felt comfortable or uncomfortable, um, to like make, you know, the other person felt comfortable. So he would call me, um, and this isn't bashing cause we, there's amazing things in our relationship too. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think at age, it was actually age seven. I, this just not hit me. Um, I have two older sisters, but he would call and ask for me. And, um, so when he'd be drinking, he'd want to talk to me, talk to me for hours. Um, and I would just kind of counsel him or try to be there for him. Um, and, you know, just kind of cover my mouth if I was crying or anything. I didn't want to show or let him know that I was upset ever because I felt like at that age, if I did, then he'd go out and drink more. So um, I think I just learned a lot of bad behaviors, maybe, or, you know, like ways to handle things at a really young age. Um, and it, it impacted me. I remember asking my mom during a meal once, like just her and I alone um, as like a preteen, you know, of what I, what I know about uh, addiction, um, you know, one of us out of my sisters and I like are probably going to become an alcoholic because, you know, if you look at like genetics and like tendencies and things. And so that was always a concern of mine, um, you know, was kind of feeling like, um, I might, you know, fall into that as well, which as a teen, I, um, had been struggling with a lot of things with, uh, both of my parents and, um, started to use alcohol to kind of mask all of my pain that I was experiencing. Um, so I did fall into it for a while, mainly just to kind of numb myself out. So sure. And there has, there had to have been some type of mirroring effect, right? Like you see somebody that they're using alcohol as a way to cope and, and a couple things. So let's back up. I love that you're getting into where you're going, but I got a couple of things that I've, a couple little nuggets I pulled out of what you shared so far. Binging before major events. That is actually pretty common, right? One of the biggest things with, with lapses, relapses, binge drinking, um, binge using is stress before major events, like to the parents or, you know, the loved ones of addicts or alcoholics, it may look like they just don't care about things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Johnny or Susie has a court date coming up and they're doing great for months and months leading up to it. And then the week before the court date, guess what happens? Oh, they fall off the wagon, right? Mm -hmm. Oh man, they, they mess up. And sometimes that can be extremely frustrating for their clinician, you know, like me for their, their friends, for their loved ones, their, their parents, because it just looks like they don't care. And it kind of sounds like that was the message that was portrayed to you with, with him maybe drinking before these major sporting events and things like that. But in reality, uh, stress is the number one thing that leads to relapse. So that totally makes sense. I just wanted to share that little. Yeah. And I think, um, so my dad passed, but I feel like, um, it was more of a co-occurring disorder. So I actually feel he struggled more with anxiety. Um, now that I'm kind of in the work that I'm in and, and, um, stress and just, um, was a perfectionist and really hard on himself. And I, I feel part of, um, what led him to drinking as well was his anxiety. Which, so. Yeah. Which totally makes sense. Right. Most mm -hmm. people with a, a substance use disorder or AKA an addiction, it, they have something else going on, you know, happy people yeah. don't wake up one day and go, you know, I think I'll just drink a, a whole handle of some alcohol. Like, yeah. I and just, I just started drinking. Um, I kind of was at a stage. It was like right before I was very depressed at that point and kind of gave up caring about anything. Cause I, at the time didn't feel like anyone cared about me. There was just a lot going on in my house at the time. Um, I had a counselor who wanted to help me get emancipated. I got sent away to a camp. Um, so there's just a lot going on where I was like, I felt like the only way I could get it out somehow or else numb it was to kind of drink it away, um, for the moment. So, well, yeah, totally makes sense. You said something earlier about talking to your dad on the phone. Um, and now he's not your biological dad, right? I just want to 
No, he sure is. I'm getting yeah. it straight. He is your biological dad. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Totally understand. So yeah, there mm-hmm. is that genetic component as well. But you talked about how basically you felt like you had to um, stay strong for him. You couldn't let him know that it was affecting you. And then you, you kind of led into that may have led to some bad behaviors. One thing yeah. that, that jumped out at me is, I don't know about, you know, the overall details of the bad behaviors, but codependency, right? Oh, like, definitely. Yeah. yeah uh, right. I, I, it led into my decision-making as a young adult, um, you know, with relationships, with boundaries, I still have to work very hard with boundaries. Um, but so that's kind of like, you know, when I look back, um, knowing that I was actually pretty emotionally intelligent, um, I think, um, if I would have been sent to like an Alateen or whatever it is, you know, one of those groups where I could learn more about how it impacted me and not just the alcoholic, um, then I think I would have transitioned to adulthood in a little bit more of a healthy way. You're amazing. Thank you for saying that. Listen, teens, hopefully we've got some teens listening to this mm-hmm. podcast. If you have a parent who struggles or just a loved one who struggles with uh, drinking or, or using, get into some, it's, well, Alateen, is that? Yeah, I don't know what they have now, but I, I mean, I went as an adult later as like an adult or to child of, yeah, yeah. Um, for a while, because I was really going through trying to like really heal, you know, various things and evolve um, past some generational um you know, um, behaviors, I guess, or thinking. And, um, so even if there's not a teen listening, it's more for like a parent who is in recovery and even if they're doing well, you know, looking at your child and thinking, well, maybe they were impacted. How can I make sure that they learn certain things that they, um, so they don't carry on, um, some of these like codependency, um, into their life and end up with in a situation, you know, where maybe, they wouldn't have if they would have gotten some help. So. Yeah. Yeah. A little easier of a road. I, you're freaking phenomenal. This is what it's all about, right? This is what it's about. It's about reaching people, getting people the the help that they need, the awareness. It's fantastic. I realize talking about some of this stuff can be uncomfortable for people. You're a champ. You're doing amazing. And really it's like people can listen to this and they can learn from it and they can really draw some strength from it and some hope and some advice. And so I just appreciate you sharing so far and we're going to dive a little deeper into it. You mentioned you started drinking in your teens. Right. And then you threw out there that you, did you get emancipated? Did you just go to a youth um, camp? I what was, happened with that, Tasha? I had a lot of other dads and parents, like my friend's parents who wanted, who were like, you, you definitely, you can come stay with us. Um, but I <clears throat> was struggling with some things with my mom and as well, and wanted to make it work. And so I said one more time, I'll go home. And then instead I was sent away to a wilderness, um, boot camp in Northern Idaho, um, in the middle of winter, um, (laughs) which was, uh, and that's actually kind of, I, I, um, I think I had a lot of PTSD from it, from just certain things that, you know, at that age and just wondering like, what the heck am I doing here? But, um, but that's kind of when I had a pivotal moment of, um, you know, well, what ended up being more of my life purpose, whether I realized it at the time or not that that it would actually become reality. Um, I'm grateful that I was sent. It, I definitely didn't get what I needed there. It was the exact, I just got more of what I was getting from home at the time um, versus you know, the type of counseling that, um, and love that I needed at the time, but it did, um, greatly impact me and definitely helped me to learn how to, um, talk, like explain my feelings. Cause I had a hard time with that prior. So, yeah. um, yeah, so- the camp, I remember just standing at the top of the mess tent. I mean, it was, it's been shut down. A lot of those camps back in the nineties weren't regulated. It were all about money. Um, so I just remember looking at the moon and looking down on the camp on Christmas night and, you know, just thinking I'm going to come back here one day and shut this place down and turn it into something that will actually help youth. So and purpose was kind born. of what I did in a sense later on in life. <laughs> yeah, and purpose was born. And we're going to get into that in the second part of this podcast. Ooh, so much good stuff. I can't wait. <laughs> so what age are you when you get sent to Idaho to the to the behavioral camp? I was 16, 15, 16. I think I was 16. 
15, 16, and you said, yeah. you said that it wasn't what you needed. What do you think, Tasha, you needed at 16? Oh, I was very, I needed to uh, be heard. I needed to feel like if I did share something or speak or tell my feelings that they were received or that I wasn't wrong or bad. Um, so I just felt very voiceless, very unseen and very, I was very, I feel like I'm talking bad about, cause I'm very close with my parents now, but, um, just very, uh, I think it just, it all needed to come out. It exploded, you know, and that's why I just stopped carrying and started drinking. And when I came back from the camp, I was suicidal and, um, just majorly depressed, um, because at the camp they wouldn't allow, you actually couldn't send letters home with your real feelings. You had to send letters home of what they wanted you to tell your parents. Mm. So it was like continued kind of mental um, abuse and emotional abuse versus like actually trying to help me through something. Um, you had to earn your way home. Um, so at that time, I just needed to be listened to, I feel like, and loved, uh, which at the time drove me crazy because I just thought it's so easy. The answer is so easy right now of what I know I need and why can't I get that simple thing. Um, so I think I just needed to feel cared about and treated like a human being at the time when I felt like I wasn't. Absolutely. Tasha, you're a parent now, right? Yes. Did you get the perfect mm -hmm. parent, uh, manual? Did you no, get the perfect parent I, binder? <laughs> um, I was just blessed with really awesome kids who make me look good and make it look <laughs> easy. <laughs> well, my point being right is I'm sure that you have fantastic parents. Yeah. You know, everybody, I truly believe the love between uh, a parent and their child is like nothing else on, in this whole world. But sometimes with the best intentions, we make mistakes like that. Yeah, it's like, just you know what you know at the time. And yeah, and sometimes it's not to interrupt you, but I, but again, I knew that with my mom, too. I knew how she was treated by her mom. Her mom disowned her. And so it's like I understood all these things at a young age. And so I would like be OK and, and process it like thinking of them. Um, but I needed to learn how to acknowledge my own feelings and feel my own feelings and deal with them appropriately versus not feel them or use alcohol to, to not feel them more. <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And first of all, please interrupt me this episode, episode 73 <laughs> is a hundred percent about you, Tasha locks. So please interrupt me. Second of all, that's super cool that you can look back now and see that stuff. Right. And it's super cool that you can come on a podcast like this and share your story to, to hopefully, you know, help other people getting back to parents don't have the perfect guide. They don't have the perfect yeah. manual. So it's not that they're terrible people. And you, you I could f almost like feel you like regretting what you're saying. And this isn't a come on and bash about, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm so close with my mom now and we just struggled for so long. And so, but that's also maybe a positive too, is like, I think we both have grown and evolved and, um, are, I consider her one of my closest friends, um, now, you know, later on in life. And so, um, you know, I think everybody has their own pains and struggles and anxieties they're dealing with, and we all deal with it differently. So. Absolutely. So I've worked at a boy, I've worked at a youth camp or a boy's home before. Right. Mm -hmm. And listen, loving parents send their kids to the, to that, yes. to that home. And here's yeah. the thing though, that I want to point out that I think is big is it sounds like you had just like every family, you know, on the earth, like a little bit of dysfunctional stuff going on <laughs> kind of, uh, in your familia, in your family system. And what, what I feel like what you're getting at is what you needed was a little bit more connection, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're wanting to connect with your dad when he calls and he's drinking and you're wanting to make sure that you're there for him and, and supporting him. And, and unfortunately with the best intentions, uh, when you have a teen acting out and you send him to a behavior mod place like that, it's a form of neglect, right? That little bit of connection that they do have gets severed and it can become mm -hmm. like you're saying almost worse. Yeah. 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 That's um, I think again, I'm grateful for it that I was sent there. And I mean, I know her intentions were, um, good from her perspective of what how she was raised and who she was at the time that she felt that that's what would help me. Um, you know, and she didn't receive that kind of love from her mother. And so I think she wouldn't know how to have done that at the time. Whereas now that we've grown, like we provide that to each other now. Um, but yeah, so 
And listen, um, I'm sure little. I'm, I'm grateful I was sent there, though, and I tell her that now because I would not be who I am today. I would not be doing what I am doing. Um, I, I'm just. I feel it's it's like shaped my future um, using that bad, but that experience to kind of light a fire under me. So. Yeah, that's where your passion was born. Yeah. Right. And hey, listen. Mm-hmm. Little 16 year old Tasha locks probably <laughs> has some accountability in some of that too. Right. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you weren't just like flying in as an angel and mom's like, Nope, you're out of here. Yeah. No, I, at that <laughs> point I was, um, like kind of just acting out, trying to get what I needed. So, and doing it in the wrong ways. <laughs> And we're going to get a little bit more into into that. I really do. I realize in part one, we haven't quite touched fully on your alcohol use. We're going to get to that in part two, as well as what you're doing now with Youth Rising. Super excited for that stuff. We'll be back right after this little break. 30-second commercial break from our sponsor, Steps Recovery Centers. Thanks, guys. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. And we are back. We are back. We are back for episode 73. We're back. I'm in black. I'm in a black Recovery Strong t-shirt. Listen, Recovery Strong is all about strengthening addiction and wow, that's totally wrong. Recovery Strong is all about fighting addiction and strengthening recovery. If you want to wear your recovery out loud and proud and fight the stigma, go to recoverystrong.com. They got, if you click on the gear tab, they have some really cool t-shirts, some amazing hoodies. I love all their stuff. I got a shirt on today. Um, really good, high quality. Uh, it really is just amazing. You can get a gift card for for a friend or a loved one. Again, it's all about fighting the stigma um, fighting addiction and strengthening recovery. Really, I, I mean, their logo sums it up perfectly. So, episode 73, part two is brought to us by Recovery Strong, as well as the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one want to get a, an amazing vacay, come to Southern Utah, come to St. George, check out the Hilton Garden Inn. Just go to Google. It's a little search engine if you haven't heard of it. You're going to type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. You're going to hit search. Go ahead, book you a room. They have amazing amenities. It's always so clean. The staff is always so friendly. Like, I know we we say this every single weekend as part of the tagline, but I really do mean it. Like, I love the Hilton Inn. They're fantastic. They take care of us. So thanks to our sponsors for helping us out with episode 73, Steps Recovery Centers, Recovery Strong, and Hilton Garden Inn. All right. We got the house cleaning out of the way. <laughs> Tasha, are you still here with us? Yep. Okay. So Listen. Fantastic. I love, I love episode or 73 part one. Okay. (laughs) Slow down, Jared. Here we go. (laughs) You talked a little bit about around 16, you started drinking. Now, what did that really look like? Like today, do you consider yourself, do you consider yourself in recovery from alcoholism? Um, I think more of what my focus is, is my mental health. So, um, because of the reason why I was drinking was my mental health and depression. And so I lay in my late, not to go off on another topic, but my early, um, adult life, I was married young, had kids young, but wasn't in the healthiest relationship. Um, and so just became suicidal again, um, because of my mental health. And so I think that's more of what I pay close attention to taking care of, um, first. So, um, so I don't know if I, I consider myself in recovery, but I think, yeah, I think I have the, I could have the tendency, um, and genetically, yeah, I could. So, um, 
but I think it was in my teen years where I really struggled with alcohol, um, but realized it was my mental health that I needed to take care of. Got you. And that totally makes sense, right? Like, and you know, right? You don't got to be a clinician to know there's primaries and there's secondaries. We're yeah. talking about co-occurring mental health disorders. Yeah. And so it sounds like depression is what you really identify with your number one and you were using alcohol as a way to cope. Yeah. I think even during COVID, like I'm home all the time. And, um, I know a lot of, like a lot of people where either their mental health has gone down, especially teens, but their mental health has gone down just from being more isolated or not, um, being really engaged in their typical, their normal everyday purpose. Um, and so drinking more alcohol or their mental health going down has, you know, impacted them over the last few years. And I, so for me, I always just looking at accountability, uh, like I was reading a book, Last year, it was called Quit Like a Woman, just to kind of read about um, alcohol and society and women and how it's kind of kind of pushes you to drink um, or mm. encourages it and social settings. Um, what was the name so of the book again? It's called Quit Like a Woman. Quit Like a Woman. Go check yeah, it out. Yeah, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. So, so I guess I am, maybe I'm always like looking at and kind of aware of, you know, what are my habits and my behaviors just because I have engaged in those things in the past or had, you know, those struggles. So, um, but I was, I was also in a marriage where my spouse, you know, was engaged in a lot of drinking as well. So I, you know, took on that codependency role again. So, right. Right. And the crazy thing about like using alcohol as a way to cope is it's like trying to put out a house that's on fire with gasoline, right? <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. let's let's compare the house on fire to like anxiety and depression that, that you've kind of talked about, suicidal ideation. And when we take alcohol and we, we, we're trying to put the fire out, it's literally like the gasoline and all we're doing is stoking the fire and making it worse, right? Because sure, yeah. it, you may feel like, well, I'm throwing something wet on this thing, but really all it's doing is, is it's just feeding into it. It's, it really is. It's crazy. I see people that once they come off of alcohol, like have a 10 times worse anxiety and a 10 times worse depression. And I, so I've gone to counseling at various times. I think everybody could benefit from counseling, um, you know, at various times just to, you know, kind of grow based on where you're at at the time and what you're going through. And so, um, I think that's, that's maybe what my recovery has been is to just kind of always keep my, um, just make sure that I'm getting my feelings out and setting boundaries and acknowledging what I'm feeling versus masking it with whether it's alcohol or overworking or over something, um, to mask what I'm actually feeling. Cause that's what I used alcohol for was to mask my feelings. So, yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said, mm-hmm. listen, you don't have to have a substance abuse to have an abuse. There are process yeah. addictions, like you just said, right? Workaholic, mm-hmm. uh, shopaholic. Uh, <laughs> I'm a ice cream or sugaraholic when I get on yeah. some bad kicks, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so yeah. I actually ended up in the hospital, um, uh, when I was 16, like when I, um, from just drinking, you know, two and a half forties and falling on a broken bottle, like went you know, through my back, like a quarter inch from my rib and my, or through my ribs from my lungs. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so when I did drink as a teen, it was, it was a lot like all at once just to kind of, I was just angry and I think I kind of turned it into myself. So, yeah. um, so that's kind of what I, with what I do with my organization now is like, look at, I looked back as, you know, I became successful at a young age in my career Um, but you know, was still behind the scenes having to learn how to like deal with, um, relationships or setting boundaries, things like that. Um, but I looked back at what helped me to be successful and what would have helped me to make better life decisions. Um, and that's kind of, um, what shaped my nonprofit was just assessing the good and the bad of my teen years and young adult life. Yeah. So let's get into that. Tasha, the thing that I absolutely love about you and your story is everything that you went through, everything that you experienced basically brought you to where you are today. (laughs) So you're standing at the top of the camp, the mesh hall. You're like, one day I'm going to come back here. I'm going to close this place down. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, there's got to be a better way. Fast forward to today. Talk to me about youth rising. Yeah. So one other moment of of when I was suicidal and as a teen, as I just remember looking at the moon and talking to God and just telling him, I just can't 
I can't, I can't wait till I'm 18. Like, I just don't want to feel like this anymore. And I just remember hearing like, um, just wait, you know, there's people that need you in your future, just wait. And I just, I heard that, you know, and felt that. And of course, from my codependency to ten, uh, tendencies, I was like, okay, I can't. <laughs> um, but so youth rising, <laughs> youth rising um, started uh, when I moved away from my hometown in my 30s for the first time. And I was just living in this community where I was like, kept reading the paper and just didn't want to live there. Cause I'm like, why aren't they doing this? Why are they allowing this? You know, uh, there's, they need this in this community. And so I basically met with like a handful of teens. I didn't know, not all of them knew each other and just started talking to them about their community, what they felt they needed. Um, and then it kind of birthed from there the first year, it was just me and them, um, leading events and things just to kind of build up a name amongst youth in the community. And then we slowly developed all these other programs. So at first it was just meant to be like a drop-in center, a safe place to be, place where they could feel heard, place where they could, you know, um, connect with uh, adults in their community. And then it's turned into holistically, um, you know, providing them with paid workforce opportunities. Um, we're working on some shelters, um, for transitional housing and, um, we provide peer support. So it's like mental health support in a non-clinical setting. So we hire young adults, uh, with lived experience. So peer support. And, yeah, yeah. Peer yep. support. So they advocate for those youth, um, develop a real relationship and kind of, they don't do it for the, the young person, but they help them to, um, set life goals, connect to services and, you know, transition successfully to adulthood. Yeah. They point out the path and let them walk it. Right. Yeah. I love it. You know, the thing I love about peer support is some of the best people to help people that are going through a hard time are people that have been in that hard time. Exactly. And because, um, youth will be more receptive. So it's, I think it's their way of giving back. It's therapeutic. I mean, me, as I was growing the organization, I didn't realize it was people would be like, Oh my gosh, that's so nice of you. You're such a good person. But I'm like, I feel selfish because therapeutically this is healing me and I'm learning just as much from this, um, realizing, Whoa, I still have these things to work on when I first started it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think, uh, youth, especially those who are hard to reach, they're going to see right through someone's BS. Um, they need someone who's relatable, who they know genuinely cares or, um, you know, has really been through what they've been through so they can, um, be receptive to their advice. So. I totally know what you mean. Listen, teens can sniff out somebody who's <laughs> unsincere faster than anybody on the planet, right? Like they really <laughs> yeah. can. You've got to have some genuine intentions when you're working with the youth. Okay. So you said that at first it started off as like, you were just kind of going around trying to gain support in your, it was when you moved out of your hometown, right? So where was right. it? Where was the original? So it was in Southern Oregon in Klamath Falls, Klamath County. So, um, started it there and then I had how to did, move away. Go ahead. Sorry. How did you, so you said that you guys would meet like at a community center or at, like, like how a did coffee you shop? Oh, wow. So you didn't so, even have like your own place at first. No, not at first. And then the community started to come behind us. We had, um, like the tribes, um, were our first partner. They would provide us with a lot of like food or, um, prizes and things like that. So we could put on dances and things just to kind of build up our name for us, gain credibility amongst, um, youth. Mm -hmm. And then, um, we started to develop leadership groups, um, school clubs, and then, um, kind of grew from there based on, cause a lot of those youth, they were doing okay. They were starting it because they wanted to help impact their peers who they knew weren't, um, accessing the help that they needed. So Tasha, you're a young person around 30 years old. When you do this, you have two kids of your own. From what I understand through Facebook stalking, you have a son <laughs> and you have a daughter. Yes. How, how did you make it? Cause it's a nonprofit, right? And I'm sure at first yeah. you're meeting in a coffee a lot shop. Of hours. Um, I, <laughs> I, to be honest, yeah, I was like, I, I was in a unhealthy relationship and, um, not sleeping helped. I just stayed up writing grants and learning how to develop a nonprofit and just did it all out of my house and got the first grant that I wrote, um, like a five-year federal grant. And then that's kind of how we grew. And then I was just really successful at getting grants after that. So we didn't do any fundraising the first few years. It was just all in-kind support from local agencies and a lot of volunteers and mostly youth volunteers and some grants. So 
Uh, we're at this point. So this is my other happy, the current good things going on. Um, we're, we're looking to expand statewide in Oregon with a lot of services and funding. We just uh, heard that we received and then we're expanding in uh, Mesa, Arizona and working on Utah and um, um, for October and Idaho. So, so at this point we're gro- working to grow into a national nonprofit. Tasha, now I need to ask you a question. I need you to be honest. <laughs> Can you see my little cheat sheet that I have sitting right here? Because you're yes. leading me right into these questions, right? Okay. So, so my next question was, yeah, where is Youth Rising? Because I know that you have a lot of different places. Where is Youth Rising? Uh, if somebody's listening to this and, and they want to get involved, how do they get involved? Um, we're also working on, so our goal is to develop a virtual drop-in as well. So having a, a, a app and peer support and all services and activities and things, um, just cool things and videos, gaming on an app so that those who can't access um, our services in person can virtually. Um, but they can, if you check out our website, it'll kind of, you can connect with, with us at um, youthrising.org or on our Facebook page. And um, right now there's just a lot of change and growth going on. So we'll be in various counties in Oregon um, and there's ways to get involved right now. We're just, we've had seeds planted. We're just waiting on funding to kind of open drop-in centers in in Idaho um, in South Jordan area, Salt Lake County. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a lot of partners there. We're just waiting to start a drop-in center and get into some of the schools there as well. And in Tennessee, we're working on that right now. So our website's the best place to connect, kind of see what we're doing right now. Um, And then on our contact page, you can kind of choose, um, you know, what information you want us to provide so you can see how to connect with us as we grow. That's amazing. Or donate. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, if I want to donate, where do I go? Just the Our website. website. Okay. okay. Fantastic. Um, and it is a 501c3 nonprofit, right? With that being yeah, said, so, go ahead. Yeah. So we actually, so we're developing chapters. So each chapter is its own 501c3, but the national headquarters is what kind of helps provide all the smaller nonprofits and chapters, you know, what they wouldn't be able to kind of on their own. So. Fantastic. So what is, what is the goal? What is the vision for Youth Rising? Like, I know you're doing a lot of cool mm-hmm. stuff, helping a lot of people out. What, what's your 10 year goal for this thing to look like? I want to be in nearly every state I were in. Um, we started off in rural communities cause I grew up in a rural community. And so that's where my heart is in terms of there's usually less services. It's harder to access those services. Um, so my goal is to have drop-in centers kind of in those towns that are, you know, right in the middle, um, not quite, you know, in a, uh, like urban area or where there's a lot of services. Um, cause I think a lot of those youth in those communities slip through the cracks. There's just less going on and less, um, services. Um, but I think just, I want to increase housing. We want to provide uh, more transitional housing, um, for youth who are just struggling in foster care or at home. Um, so that we can provide all of the services I've talked about while they're getting their primary needs met. So um, that's my goal is to just be in every community where, um, you know, they want us and need us. And we can look at um, all our services don't have to be provided in every community. We, you know, you can piecemeal out certain things that help to fill the gaps of what's needed so that youth can access and um thrive in terms of their mental health and education and some communities like in Mesa, we're just in schools. So it just, and we're just providing one-on-one mental health support. So that's a, yeah, that's fantastic. That, so my next question is going to be, what do you typically see? Like, what is it that the youth that come to you, to your organization really need? Is it, you know, people that are coming from the foster foster care system is it more just like after school programming and activities? Is it the mental health stuff? Really, since COVID, just things have changed. Um, so, I mean, the schools we're at in Mesa, we were going to do um, like kind of a uh, in-school drop-in center. And it changed to just being there for four hours a day just to provide mental health support because it's needed so bad. Um, so one-on-one and... Um, and group peer support. So I think right now, just with what's come out of, you know, youth being isolated um, and struggling in school, um, it's 
magnified a lot of maybe problems that were already going on um, or just impacted them in new ways. So um, substance abuse, eating disorders, and, um, you know, depression, suicide, um, that's kind of our main emphasis in terms of what we're seeing when we're on school campuses. So, um, I mean, I think in with there's always issues and needs for foster care youth, but just youth who seem like they should be doing okay. And they're coming from, you know, maybe a middle-class family and everything seems like it should be doing fine. Just, there's just a lot of needs out there right now. Um, and so they're receptive to us because we're sending kind of younger adults in there, um, who are listening in the way that they're receptive to. And they can relate, right? They can, right. The youth can relate to these younger adults. Yeah. Relatability is huge. People don't, people underestimate that. You could have, listen, you could have a, a psychiatrist with all the knowledge in the whole world, but if, if there isn't some kind of, you know, bond created, if there isn't some kind of relatability, if there isn't some connection, we call it therapeutic alliance established, mm-hmm. <laughs> that person's not going to get through to that individual. And I would say housing and mental health are like the main needs and issues and then all the other stuff kind of compa- compounds and and is caused by um you know it's just a trickle down effect in terms of substance abuse and risky behaviors um so we don't have any youth doing risky behaviors these days do we I mean, have you been <laughs> on tiktok and seen some of the some of the crazy stuff that they're you know risky behaviors they got going on anyways yeah. the, the thing that i love is Really, if you're listening to this and thinking, what does this have to do with recovery? First of all, it's it, it's everything to do with recovery. One of the biggest things is, is a proactive approach to preventing substance use, right. right? Because if we have if we have youth that are struggling with depression, anxiety, all these things, like you said, especially with with COVID and and <laughs> if you had social anxiety before COVID nineteen happened, imagine trying to go back to school or social events after COVID nineteen, right? Right. So I love it. It's prevention. You know what I mean? It's a proactive approach to getting ahead of the problem. So fantastic. My next question for you, what advice would you give to 16 year old Tasha who's (laughs) out there, you know, feeling maybe a little neglected, needing somebody to listen and is thinking about drinking for the first time? Um, I, my advice would be to think of who's in your sphere, like who, who can you reach out and talk to, um, about whatever you're going through, what's, you know, to kind of figure out if there's another way to deal with what's making you want to drink. Um, I mean, that's at least, I just needed connection, at least for me personally. And that's what we're hearing from youth as well, is it makes a difference. So um, that would be my advice is just to reach out, um, to someone who will listen. And if you don't, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you can reach out to us through, <laughs> through our website, but, um, I think most youth, like just if they had a mentor, if at the very least, um, that would make a huge difference, um, if they're not getting what they need from home. So, Absolutely. And that bottle's not going to be the answer. It's not going to bring you what you're, what you're needing. In fact, yeah, it sounds like me, things yeah, got worse for you. It didn't for me. It caused a lot more problems for me, yeah. <laughs> a lot more problems for me. So, um, it's just a temporary fix. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate hearing about youth rising and everything going on. We got about three minutes left here. I want to hear about what you get. What, what else do you got going on? I know that you're doing real estate right now. Yeah, I'm um, getting back into that because I got it. I got into it when I was 19, um, and so I'm getting back in. And my daughter wants to learn about the business, so um, I'm just looking at um, kind of building a team and some of the communities that my nonprofit's in as well, so that I, um, you know, can kind of provide support in various ways in those communities. So um, just doing that on the side, though, but. Um, my focus is youth rising. <laughs> I wonder if that but, led into the, cause you mentioned that one of the biggest needs that they have is housing, right? Is affordable yes. housing. So I actually turned one of my nonprofits into, um, and that's kind of in the works into a, a, so it's like a nonprofit housing developer. So, um, looking at 
how it can complement youth rising or other entities similar to that. So um, developing affordable housing with emphasis on providing free um, housing for transitional age youth, young adults. Um, so they can go through like 18 months of gaining life skills, uh, workforce, paid workforce, um, and walk away with rental history, um, a job or a GED if they need it, um, and mental health support so they can transition to adulthood, um, uh, more successfully. So that's kind of a new thing that I'm starting just because we're seeing such a need, um, in some of the States that we're in. And so, um, yeah, my love for real estate, that's kind of what I figure that's in my wheelhouse. So why not um, do something that can complement what I'm already working on? So, and it, <clears throat> excuse me, and it directly relates. Yes, it does. And it directly relates. It's all preventative. I mean, it's all preventative. I think with you, like, if you just look at the indicators, I mean, um, I think just primary needs being met are like the first thing that you have to focus on um, and mental health um, to prevent substance abuse, um, prevent failing, um, dropping out of school, teen pregnancy. So I guess that's more of the business we're in is trying to prevent youth from ending up, um, you know, in, um, addiction and recovery, um, due to kind of, uh, life circumstances. So, yeah, it's been so cool to hear your story all the way through. You know, I think the <laughs> biggest thing I'm impressed with Tasha is, is hearing about kind of the struggles and the things that, that you had that you went through and to see you now, like you've <laughs> lived in, uh, Oregon, Utah, you're in, you know, Nashville, Tennessee now, like doing amazing stuff. It really is. It really does speak to the character that you have and, and taking something that was a hardship of yours and turning it into a passion. And so I just want to, you know, in the last 20 seconds we have here, I just want to thank you for like everything you do, you know, that's super cool. The world needs more people like, like you. Oh, thank, I appreciate that. Same with you. I think when we first met, like I felt like we had stories that where we could connect and kind of relate to each other. So I appreciate you bringing me on. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Listen, everybody, join us next week for episode 74. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.